Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that enables your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. Get access to actionable news and market research with all the information you need to invest smarter and profit faster. Start your free trial today at pro.benzinga.com. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Thursday edition of Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. Spencer Israel, Dennis Dick is back in the saddle just in time to see Joel depart uh, for... Uh, Philadelphia for the rest of the week, but that's okay. Today might as well be called Catch Dennis Up Day because whenever he, whenever he seems to leave us, whether it's for one day or for a week, like he just did, he misses a lot. He misses like the action. He he left. Uh, he went away last March, right when COVID hit. He missed all that. He leaves uh, last week. He misses all this craziness with China. So we're gonna talk. We're gonna catch Dennis up about what exactly he missed. I'm sure he was keeping up a little bit, but uh, I don't know. Maybe he was. Maybe he wasn't. We'll find out, Dennis. Uh, we got earnings to discuss, obviously. Uh, Facebook. We're, I want to talk about this Robinhood IPO today. Uh, two guests today. Peter Tuckman will join us at 8.35. He's usually on at 9, but going to bring him on a few minutes early today. And then I'll be joined by Blue Putnam, the chief economist of the CME Group, to talk about uh, whatever Jerome Powell said or didn't say yesterday implications of that please drop me a like if you could i'd appreciate that real fast before i throw it to dennis and ask him to uh, regale us with a tale or two from his his, uh, his time camping with the family real quick look at markets uh s&p's in the green nasdaq slightly down russell's up and we got dow jones up oil's up bitcoin's down crypto uh, ethereum is down there is your summary now dennis Good morning. You are getting me at the worst possible time here, too, because I just had uh, earnings stuck at stock. I got stuck with just broke earnings here. So I'm working out of that right now. Okay, and you... I'm going to be with you 100%. I'm just working one trade here. Okay. One trade. I can't even, I can't help myself. I have to actually make trades right as I'm doing the show here as well now. So, okay. Working you... out here. I'm going to be with you. Full concentration here in just one minute. Okay, you you work out of that in just one second. Let me go back to my pro here, um, and let me just so again, uh, we got a lot of earnings as I mentioned. We have Facebook. We're going to talk about that. Uh, we're we're coming through like the back half of the earnings season here, so there isn't too much uh, today, with the exception of uh, Amazon after the close. But we've got. Uh, Facebook, we're going to talk about Ford. We got Qualcomm. We got PayPal. Oh, we got to talk about Lending Club. Do you guys see Lending Club? Crazy. Holy cow! What a move for that. We will get to this at some point in, within the hour, I promise. Uh, I think, like, the biggest surprise in the history of, of, of Lending Club, uh, you know, as a public company, I think their their entire business may have changed uh, uh, in the last quarter or two. So we'll talk about that as well. Uh, we'll take questions from our chat, drop your tickers, and I will do my very, very best to um, write tickers down as I see them. Uh, somebody left us a super chat comment yesterday, Matt, about support.com. 
Uh, and Matt, uh, I forgot about you until like 9.05, and I'm so sorry. Uh, so if you're here today, we can talk support.com because uh, I, I wrote it down, but then I just forgot to bring it up again. Uh, so sorry about that, Matt. So I will do my very best to uh, to to write down tickers as I see them uh, in the chat and cover them uh, in the last 10 minutes of the show today. Uh, also, uh, we talk about potential catalysts all the time on this show. Everyone put this date on your calendars, August 19th. That's Tesla's AI day. Okay. We have a new catalyst for Tesla, August 19th. Also, I neglected to mention for the second day in a row, uh, speaking of August, what is two days after August 19th? I'm glad you asked. August 21st, the first ever pre-market prep three-hour educational masterclass. Joel and Dennis for three hours on a Saturday, 9 to noon. The link is in the description. Just scroll down. You'll see it. It's right there below the video. Sign up. Three hours of Joel and Dennis on a Saturday, August 21st. Check it out. Matt Miller, it was you. Okay, Matt Miller, I will not forget about you today. I promise. I promise. I promise. I promise. Yes, now the tickers are all flying. Okay, I will do it again. are flying. I know. Okay, and now I am back with you as well. I've worked out the majority of the position that I just had that I needed to get out of because it was big enough that it was going to impact my day if I didn't work out of it well. So, anyways, I sell my stocks just so I can talk to you guys. I'm kind of in a good position here now so what's up what's well, up I, it's, I gotta know how was your week you were it like was good i mean it's, 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 world, it, right? i get the itch eh? i get like two three days away and then i'm like okay now i'm kind of itchy here i wouldn't mind making a trade or two i had my ipad with me so i could have made a trade but i stopped myself i didn't make any trades although i really wanted to so um so yeah so i stayed completely pretty much off the grid but i was looking at my you know i was looking at you know the prices i was looking at a few stocks on my cell phone checking in three four times a day to see what the overall market is doing so you're never completely away but for the most part it was good i mean that's my first vacation since COVID started we know you're listening to the show for the last year and a half i went away the week before basically you know we started to have lockdowns um so i didn't even know if i was going to get back but i got back safely in this case i knew i was going to get back what we did we just went to quebec camping uh, it was great um you know mostly outdoor well all outdoor activities because i'm not confident enough to do inside stuff here yet but uh the kids were swimming we went with a couple of friends so they uh, have their kids so um yeah it was all good um, all good until basically the final minute of my trip because we borrowed. So we had a trailer and we borrowed my sister-in-law's trailer because she had a nice trailer and she actually lives right uh, near, right in Ottawa, which is right close to where we were camping. So um, my brother, uh, I guess I call him my brother-in-law, hauled the trailer over and uh, we stayed in there all week. So it was good. The trailer was great. But right as we're packing up, I'm all packed up, I'm ready to leave. It was a successful trip. I didn't break anything. I'm locking up the trailer. And the deadbolt's sticking a little bit. And these trailer keys are pretty small. So anyway, so I'm just, you know, turning. I was like, oh, it's sticking. So I give it a little pressure. And you don't you know the key snaps off in the deadbolt. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like, the kids are in the car. The entire car is packed. We are literally leaving in 10 seconds. I just broke the key in my sister-in-law's trailer. And it's the only key. So I'm like, that is not good. So <laughs> luckily, the door was not shut yet. So I didn't lock myself out, but the deadbolt was stuck in the full on position there. So I had to actually go borrow some screwdrivers, take the whole mechanism apart, take out the pin of the deadbolt, 
And then um, I just closed the trailer up. So Wait, now they can't lock the trailer. Just, was this at her house or was this like at this, this is the trailer. This is at the trailer park. And this at is the, the trailer. Okay. Yeah, this is the trailer's deadbolt that I uh, I just snapped the key. Like it was kind of sticking. So I gave it a little extra pressure and it just snapped. Aye. And I'm like, uh Anyways, and, and you weren't near civilization where you could just no. Well, you're kind of are like there's a trailer park, so there was a gentleman okay. in the trailer right next. To my wife went over there and he had a like pack of screwdrivers. That was good enough. So okay. I took it all apart. It took me about a half an hour, but I got the pin out of the mechanism. Um, there's no way to get the broken key. I mean, broken key in a lock. Good luck with that. So uh, they'll probably have to either replace the mechanism or call a locksmith. I told them whatever the bill is, I'll pay it. But Amazing. you know, you feel bad. You didn't break anything. My wife left the trailer like spotless, clean the whole thing. All my job was was to watch the kids and lock the trailer, and I couldn't do it. Fail, man. That's but you know what? Everything else was good. We had a great time. Good. Um, Sister in law wasn't upset about the deadbolt. She's like, no big deal. Um, she's like the key. She knew it was sticking. She's like, it could have happened to anybody. You know, she's just saying nice things. Meanwhile, probably only could happen to me, but. Is what it is. Uh, it was a good. It was a good week. I gotta say, a little bit disappointed. You said you were checking the markets three times a day. That seems like a lot to me. You couldn't go any less. Three, you couldn't go less than three times a day. Oh, well, normally I'd go thirty to fifty. I, I thought I, I was really good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All, right. All right. Fine. Fine. Anyway, so here's what you missed, Dennis. Uh, you missed the, the Chinese government essentially dropping the hammer on like oh your gosh. entire capital market system. T- talk to me about this. Um, I've watched the Chinese stocks implode every day, and I'm like, what yeah. is going on? So yeah. give me the details. This is inform Denny morning because I need to be informed on what has happened in this last week because I came in trading last night, and I felt like I was trading naked. I yeah. felt like, and not naked shorting, like trading like you know with no information, not knowing what's going on, coming in cold turkey and like trying to trade stocks, and it's like, all right, I'm like watching, all, looking at all these charts, and China stocks have imploded, but they bounced back yesterday. So yeah. please inform me. What China has done to, one, have the ugly week we had last week, but then, two, to bounce back nicely in the last two days. They are ba- – well, it started well, – or I guess you could say it started with Alibaba. But, but in the last few days, it started with the, uh, the online education industry. And they basically said, we're going to drop some new regulations on you saying that you can't take outside capital – uh, and all these other things, and the, the the online education industry is basically like, well, I guess we're screwed here. I guess we're screwed now. Uh, is, is, so TAL, there's a chart. Ed or there's EDU. Uh, TAL is, is the other big one. I'll bring that one up. All these charts look the same. So basically, what it comes down to is the uh, the the uh, the Chinese government saying we want way. This is what I think of my interpretation. We want way way more control over all these businesses. Wow. And we're gonna uh, enact new regulations on on everybody, especially with regards to uh, who can and can take outside capital, uh, who is and is not allowed to have exclusive licenses. They said, "Hey, ten cents, you got to give up your exclusive music license." So TME Group got hit on that as well. Um, basically, it's 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 a total um, uh, shit show, if I can say that. It's a shit show right now. Um, with everyone sort of running for cover, you can look at the K Web, which is what 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 I sold a couple weeks ago. Um, oh. I, I saw several articles just just you know specifically about K Web and highlighting the move in this one ETF because all all this thing holds is Chinese internet companies, right? So uh, it's a, it was a huge move across the board uh, this morning, uh, or actually it was overnight. You got this report from the Wall Street Journal now that Didi is considering going public and I'm oh, sorry, private. And Didi came out and denied it. 
They denied it. They said it's not true. So I just start rumors. So, so, so for a brief moment in time, you thought, okay, maybe there's some light at the end of the tunnel, at least if you're DD shareholders. But, but no, DD's saying not so fast, my friend. So anyway, it's a total mess. Um, it's chaos out there. Uh, you got you got JP Morgan wow. had a note. I think JP Morgan had the note out on Tuesday, and they called they basically called China uninvestable. They called all these stocks uninvestable. You cannot invest in them because you just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. So that's that, that that's that's the short of it. So many thoughts on this, um, you know, and you can start. And really, Didi was kind of the start of this lack of confidence. Obviously, we know they had the IPO. Two days later, major China investigations. We've seen the stock cut in half ever since then. We know Alibaba. Maybe we go back. Baba was really the start of it because Alibaba was 300 when they stopped the Ant Financial I, I, um, spinoff happening. And since then, it's kind of been a disaster as well. Um, you see the implosion here and you just think, wow. You know, if you ever wanted to buy the dip, man, this is a hell of a dip. Like, go back to the KWEB, and I don't know what they hold in there. I don't actually trade that ETF, but like you said, it's a Chinese internet stocks. But, you know, it gave back its entire rally from COVID. Like the COVID, you know, like when we were back in March of 2020, we were 50 bucks. And then it rallied over the course of the next year to over 100. Now we're back down to where we were at $50. You think, wow, these stocks are getting cheap. And I know just from a valuation perspective, Alibaba is cheap. But then you look and you think, okay, well, yeah, it's cheap, and but it's so many unknowns. So I agree with J.P. Morgan to a certain extent. Is how can you invest when you don't know what's going to happen next? So I mean, if 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 all these companies are just allowed to go about their business and do what they want to do, there's a lot of them that are just really cheap here. I mean, look at Baidu; it was three hundred and fifty dollars back in February. It's one hundred and sixty bucks. That's a two for one stock split. You know, cut down fifty percent here. Yeah. Um, JD, which may be best of breed, um, down significantly as well. One hundred eight dollars at the high, hit sixty one dollars yep. just two days ago. Now it's a nice snapback rally. But if you're coming in now, I mean, you know, you had a wicked, wicked sell off for three, four days while I was away. But now you come in and you look at it, just bounced back ten dollars from the low. I mean, I'm not buying somebody else's profits. I bought that dip. The dip is just gone immediately in JD. So in Alibaba as well, I mean, we got down to 180, just under 180. Now we're back up over 200. I think it's honestly a selling opportunity to bounce from the last two days if I'm just looking at the technicals on the charts. Uh, but you can't argue with valuation. I mean, they're cheap. So I don't know. And then you go to the whole DD story here. And um, I slept in too much today, one thing, because I actually was long DD overnight. I bought it last night when I got back because it was starting to perk up. And I was seeing some of these other China stocks take off. And I was like, you know what? This one might actually bounce back too. I was thinking I might be able to get, you know, the eight eighty seven up to ten bucks. And lo and behold, you know, I wake up and it's ten fifty and I was like, what happened? Um, then I read, you know, it was actually thirteen this morning if I would have woke up a little bit earlier. Yeah. Uh, but I read all the headlines and they denied it. So I've sold the stock already. Um I was my target was ten. Um just overnight trade I was gonna have for a couple of days. I was hoping it could, you know, get continue the momentum. Obviously, Wall Street Journal, you get lucky with some news and you make more than your target. But if I would have woke up about two hours earlier, I probably could have got 11 or 12 or, you know, I don't know if it touched 13, but close to it. So I, I don't know what to say. So I'm out of DD now, full disclosure, before it, I started the show. It, it got to 1320. Yeah, I would have been up a lot of money at 1320. I sold, I think, 1032 or something this morning after I woke up and then said that they denied. And I was still trading up like 17%. I was like, well, I'll take the 17% if they've denied the rumor. 
Um, if they wouldn't have denied the rumor, I would have been working. Well, if they wouldn't have denied the rumor, I probably would have been trading up a 12 or 13 still. So yeah. why did you deny the rumor? You could have denied it after I sold it. I would have woke up at, at 6 in the morning. I would have been selling that thing at 12 or 13 on a rumor as well. But I don't know. This is hard because I do have a, a couple of emerging markets ETF. We know I have a very small wow. position left in Alibaba. I had sold a significant portion of it up at 235, um, but I kept a little piece. Uh, I, I don't. Part of me wants to go out and buy some of these China stocks if we get another dip. Like, again, today is not the day because we've ripped too high on these in the last two days. But if you get a retest of those lows, maybe you try them. I mean, from a valuation perspective, they're attractive. But the risk of, you know, China in itself is the huge unknown. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the ground is fundamentally shifting beneath your feet here. Like, like it's easy to have a bullish thesis on China, like they've got the demographics in their favor. Yeah. These are relatively cheap tech stocks, right? Uh, these are emerging industries that are only going to get bigger. All that sounds great. But if you don't know th- that whether the, chi- the government's going to kneecap them, then, uh, I know. then what, what can you do? What is there to do? There That's nothing- a great analogy. I mean, we don't know if the government's going to kneecap them. That's the complete truth here. And that's sure. why... JP Morgan's cautious. That's why investors are cautious. That's why they're selling first and asking questions later. Exactly. I tend to think like we we we've been arguing the EEM for a long time, you know, and I do have yeah. a position in that where you know you've been a decade where it's really gone nowhere. And you know, maybe there's some currency effects in there, but for the most part, the EEM has gone nowhere. And this is a decade in which you obviously, you know, US tech stocks have rallied two, three, four times. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so they're up significantly more than China. So we've argued for a while, is there a catch-up trade in China? For a while, in late 2020 and early 2021, it looked like that was a good call. But now, with you know the unknown of the Chinese Communist Party here, really on and on what you know these companies, you know, and which companies are going to attack next, investors are spooked and rightfully so. I think you know if you're picking out some, you know, but you think you're know, a good company, JD, and that's the one I would be looking at if I was looking at a company to buy on the dip and retest. I go to JD, which has been best of breed. If I was to get back to 65, maybe you take a shot. I'm not chasing up at 72 here today because now you're getting all that, you know, where we were trading in that range from 70 to 80 forever. You snapped out of it. Now you snapped right back into it. So right now, you know, it, it's rallied too much. 20% in two days is too much of a rally for me to chase. But I get a pullback here, which you probably inevitably will, it seems like, in these China stocks. Maybe you take a flyer on a couple of them, but it's been tough. Tough to be an investor in China. You know, I mentioned this yesterday. I'd be curious to get your thoughts, Dennis. This has provided a really good um, test case scenario, not even a test case, a real-life scenario for how somebody like Kathy Wood and ARK Invest and, and these active managers can, can handle a, like a crisis because they've been selling every day, but it's it, for two weeks, they're still selling. They, yeah. they, are, they are still every day. They're selling more. They can't sell all at once. Obviously, they're so big, but they sell they sell JD every day. They sell BEKE every day. They sell uh, Pindo Duo every day. Right. Yeah. It, it BZ. Right. They, it's it's taking them. We- Tencent. It's taking them weeks to unwind. Yeah, these it's so big. They're so they're so large. Um, it's it's I think this is going to be a really interesting like however this shakes out when we look back and say, oh, it, it, wow, it took them you know, two, three weeks to, to unwind themselves. Well, you don't know if she wants to continue to do that. She's such a dollar cost averager. Like she is, you know, an average downer, but she's also sure. in, she just doesn't like to time. She's not a market timer. Kathy Wood is definitely not a market timer. She's a fundamental, you know, growth investor. Right. And that's why she goes in. 
small pieces, 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 pieces. So she doesn't put it all in at once, get the timing wrong. And even if you have a good call, if your timing is bad, you can get hit. You know, normal investors go in and they go out. And I mean, you know, maybe this is the better way to do it. You've got a fundamental long-term thesis. You average in so that you don't get the timing wrong. Um, but she averages out of the positions too. And obviously it's been tough. I mean, PDD, which is loved, loved for the first half of this year, yep. $212. It hit 77 bucks. I mean, they absolutely hate China right now. That's <laughs> unbelievable. It was that capitulation is the question when I was away. It kind of feels like it was. So that's why I'd be more inclined to buy the dips on these. Now, again, we're never buying rips. At least I'm never buying rips. I'm buying dips. Um, so I'm not buying PDD up $3 here. But it's on the list now where I think you did have capitulation two days ago. I think you look at this at $79, $80. I think you go back down to the mid-80s. I think you take a shot on it because I think that was capitulation selling two days ago. Yeah, and I said this yesterday. Somebody is going to make a lot of money buying the, buying the dip and getting lucky and calling the bottom and all these things but that, that won't be me um and it won't be you uh either so <laughs> but yeah that that's more luck than, than skill if anything but just like somebody got lucky buying the buying the dip uh in march of last year right you you didn't know you just you just you know congrats there's always somebody that gets lucky buying the absolute bottom right i'm not that person Right. I never buy the absolute bottom, but I'm not an average. You know, I kind of just look for the setups. That's why I always say I like it to capitulate, which we just saw two days ago on a lot of these Chinese names bounce. And then I buy the retest where I know where my out is, you know, and that's how I do it, at least on my swing trades. I mean, when you're doing different types of, you know, short term trades, which we're going to talk about on August 21st, you know, where I'm, you know, doing different types of arbitrage, I'm doing different types of scalps, I'm doing news trading. That's a completely different animal. It's not to do with technical analysis, but most of my swing trades are based on charts and I don't like to buy the flush. I don't like to catch the falling knife. I like it to flush. Let it, you know, let somebody else be the hero trying to call the bottom because you don't know where it is. I mean, you could have been doing this on PDD at 100 and then it's 90 and then it's 80 on you two days later. So I don't like to do that, but I do like to buy the retest. So if we got back down to the low 80s in PDD. That's where I would strike. Now, I mean, new information comes out and maybe it changes your thesis at that time. But as of right now, I, my thesis would be that we capitulated on all these Chinese names two days ago. We've had the dead cat bounce off those lows. And in all likelihood, we'll retest, maybe not all the way down, but they'll give me a shot lower. I don't think we're just blasting off and going to $120 and you're going to miss it all on PDD. I think it'll have some back in and filling because you have some people who were really hit hard. People who bought this thing at 102 when they thought the low was in, and then it just hammered them in the last four days. Yeah, they'll be trying to get their money back. So it's not just straight up easy sledding. And I mean, if it does that, okay, well you missed it. There's always another trade. There's always another opportunity. Mitch, when I was on vacation, I was looking at all this trading, and he's like, Denny, there's always another opportunity there. So you don't have to have FOMO when you're on vacation. Enjoy your vacation. Come back. There'll be another opportunity. And that's the biggest thing, even for newer investors. Like, I missed this. I can't believe I missed this trade. Yeah. And they'll focus on it for so long. Oh, I missed the low in PDD. It was $78. It's 95 It could have made so much money. You know what? There's always another trade. You miss lots of them. I've been trading for 22 years full time. I miss lots of good trades. There's always another trade. Yep. But right now, I'm putting all these on my watch list. And the lows from July 27th, those are my bogeys. That would be my stop out. So if I can get PDD in the low 80s, I'd probably stop out at the low from the 27th, which is a $77 level. 
All right. Yeah. You talk about finding a level to lean on, a level to control your risk at. and That's what you want. You yeah. need something to control your risk. When you are just catching the falling knife, when you're just catching the falling knife, there's nothing to lean on. You don't know. So, I mean, that's a dangerous game. I've lost a lot of money trying to catch the falling knife. It usually doesn't work out for you trying to catch the falling knife. All right, let's move on away from China for a second. You want to go earnings or do you want to go to Robinhood IPO? Where would you like? Well, let's talk because we're going to talk earnings for a long time. Let's talk the Robinhood IPO. Great ticker, okay. by the way. Okay, yeah, Hood. Going public today. And I uh, just. Under saw, the hood. I just saw Ryan Craver tweet that he. And I saw a few people in our chat tweet. Uh, meant, mentioned this as well they already placed some orders and, and got filled this morning because robin hood is allocating like 35 percent of the float um to uh their own users which which is which is great um uh, i think so anyway uh there's there's selling 55 million shares today offering price of 38 dollars, which was at the low end of the range the range was at 38 to 42 so Whatever. Uh, $38 is your IPO price. 55 million shares. So a lot of shares coming into the market today. This is not some low float IPO. It's easy to push around. This will be hard to push around. The one thing that I am unclear of, and maybe someone in chat to answer this, uh, if you're on Robinhood and you did get an allocation, what are the rules around a lockup? Are, 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 you, are, you allowed, are you allowed to sell today? Are you not? Oh, yeah. I would think you're allowed to sell right away. Because they're I, not insiders. So I would think, you know, you're allowed to sell those shares right away. Wait, Randy, hold on. Randy says, what, what do you say, Randy? Oh, Randy from Randy said he can't. R- Randy uh, uses Robinhood. He said he, he said he can't. When can he? So w- when can you sell? When's the lockup period? He doesn't know. Okay. Yeah. So he doesn't know. So after the lockup, he doesn't know when. All right. Anyway, so I don't think you can. Oh, yeah. Usually, usually 30, get days. Those, 30 days. You got to wait 30 days to sell that. So if you got days. the allocation in Robinhood. You can't. You got to wait thirty days to sell it. Yeah, I mean that makes sense, doesn't it? Sometimes, it, no, not necessarily because you're not the you're not like an insider. You're not. Well, like, why would you know, Robinhood want to give like just like open yeah. the floodgates to to sellers, right? So but, thirty days. Yeah, oh, man, that makes sense. Okay, well, well, let's talk valuation on this thing. Like, let's sure. just you know because everybody's probably excited. Did first of all, does anybody know if they got? Did, do you know if you got the allocation already? Like. Yeah, they, they Randy's will, got some shares. Yes, yes. Was it easy to get? That's always the question because it's, when they're easy to get, they're never usually good. I'm sorry to say. It's well, again, they're allocating a lot of their float to to their users, so there's a lot of supply out there. So it seems, uh, I, I don't know if you can get like your if you, your entire request, but you can get something. You can get a piece. Is what it seems. Remember like. Facebook? Everybody went at the full request, and everybody got it. And what happened was on the Facebook IPO for newer traders out there, the thing just died on day two. And we went from $38 and eventually months later got down to 15. They absolutely crushed in the, the initial investors there. So I don't know if that's going to be the case here. But when you get your full allocation, it's always buyer beware. If you're allocating, you get a little piece and you're lucky enough to get a little piece and you're excited. But when you get your full allocation, I'm always nervous because it probably means everybody else got their full allocation. Which probably means they're selling to you at a really high price, um, but oh, yeah, the valuation is, is high. J- j- just to be oh, you know, it's got to be. The, no, the, I'm, t- I'm telling you, the valuation is uh, 32 billion dollars, give or take, right? So th- that's that's where uh, that's where the IPO price sets the valuation at. Uh, it it dwarfs SoFi, which is which is 
I think what like in the in the teens. I think SoFi is in the or lower than that. Where is SoFi right now? Let's find out. Let's go into the pro. I don't even know where SoFi is, even though I own it. Uh, SoFi market cap, yeah, sixteen. Okay, so we're talking two SoFi's today, right for Robinhood. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I saw somebody mention SoFi as a sympathy play, maybe right. Um, it's expensive, no doubt. It's expensive. Uh, I did watch the the road show, the public uh, road show, the virtual road show that they did last uh, Sunday. Uh, a couple interesting charts that they shared. Just l- look at the, look at this. This is a chart showing growth of funded accounts uh, for the whole industry, and then Robinhood is the one on top in green. Okay, in dark green. All right, yeah. look at that. Robinhood added more accounts, almost as many accounts than the entire than than existed. In 2015, retail accounts, right? They're, 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 it's an incredible company, really, when you think about the growth that they've experienced. So it's yeah. not surprising that investors are going to pay a premium for this company. So the question is, you know, is the premium worth it or not? I haven't sat and actually crunched the numbers because I have no intention of trading Robinhood on day one. Yeah. So, and again, I was on vacation. So I'll sit down back and, cr- and, and crunch the numbers here. I never trade on day one because I wanted to. I want some levels. Like I just said, I don't like to catch a falling knife. The stock starts going down. And equally, I don't like to, you know, short rocket ship. So it starts ripping higher. I'm not going to do that either. I need levels. I need at least one bar. I need a previous day high and a previous day low to even think about coming in and trading it. So I never trade them on day one. Um, there's a lot of people that love trading this stuff. It's wild and yeah. risky. This, this which is, is the exact be... opposite of me. I'm glad you mentioned Facebook because this is probably going to be the most uh, anticipated or most interesting IPO since Facebook, um, because not just um, because of, of the of the company, but because of uh, a the fact that they they they're at the nexus of of retail trading, and there's so many storylines here. There's the regulatory yeah. risk, right? Like like what if um, payment for order flow, uh, you know, uh, comes under you know there? What if there's some new regulations around that? That uh, that would that would kill, just, kill kill the stock. That would destroy Robinhood. That's that's the, how they make yeah. their money. Right. Yeah. Um. Uh, there's just so many. There. There's the whole uh, GameStop AMC craze and, and how they handled that. There's the government testimonies. There's the fact that they got just got the largest FINRA fine ever. There's the fact that Vlad Tenev is not um fit, registered with FINRA, which I didn't even honestly I didn't even know that was a thing that the, that the CEO of a broker dealer had to be uh registered with FINRA. But I, I guess I guess they do, and, and he's not. Um. There's just there's just so many storylines here. Look at this chart from the Roadshow. Uh. Forty percent of their users use the app every day. That's incredible. That's insane, I mean, they've, right? they've grown an incredible business. One, you ask a great question with payment for order flow, which is still very much in the front center of the news. You see people talking about it every day. It is how they make their money. And obviously, if there's regulation that's happening there, I mean, it's not impossible that there could be regulation that's happening there. Payment for order flow is not allowed in Canada. It's not allowed in the UK. Is it going to continue to be allowed in the US? I think so. I think there could be just more disclosures. If I was a, a guessing person, I think the regulation is going to be around disclosure, better disclosure. Probably. I don't think that they're going to just ban payment for order flow like they did in the UK, I believe, back in 2012. I don't think that's going to happen, but we don't know. And it is an unknown and it is a risk to be an investor in Robinhood. If they get by and it's just disclosures, I don't think the stock gets affected whatsoever. If they get by and they limit those payments, they put a cap on those payments. If they you know, outright banned it, the stock would get crushed. 
So that's a major risk. But, you know, that's still, you know, a long ways from getting any, you know, real, you know, we're not even close to being, you know, any resolve there on that issue. It's going to be in the media for a long time. Um, so, but that's the risk. The, the return, obviously, is, you know, it's a company that's growing. It's done a lot of things right. And, you know, let's see. Let's give it a few days, though. I'm not going to trade on day one. Yeah, yeah. And, and look at this chart as far as their revenue breakdown uh, or the payment for order flow revenue breakdown, right? Equities versus options versus crypto. Wow. You, you can see crypto, which is the, the yellow one. Uh, grow. Well, that's going to grow. The crypto right. will grow. Right. Right, they're just starting to add. They continue but, but the, to add. The question is, the question is, do, do the other two stop growing as much? Right. Uh, what, what was last year? Um, you know, perfect storm type situation for. You look at that payment for order flow, and you're just like, wow, though. Like we're talking like 2021. I know the crypto has look. grown, but it's still 80 percent of their revenues here. Yeah. You know, well, like, well, look, 720 million last year. Okay, more than half that in just Q1 of this yeah, year. Right. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's the crypto is a nice growth engine for them. And I mean, that is going to, you know, obviously continue to grow because I don't think crypto is going away. I mean, you know, yes, you know, we've seen some issues with obviously some of these crypto stocks or some of these cryptocurrencies coming in. But, you know, nice rally in Bitcoin, which we haven't talked about there when I was away. Nice rally in Bitcoin off of Amazon rumors. Nice rally in Ethereum. I mean, I don't think the story is over for crypto. I've said that the whole time. I said I wouldn't buy a lot of these little ones. I wouldn't buy doggy coin. But, I mean, I look at Ethereum and I look at Bitcoin. I have a little piece in both of those because, you know what? I don't think the story is going away. So yeah. that's still going to be a growth engine for Robinhood. Payment for order flow is the wild card. Are they going to end up being like like Facebook? And yeah, like yesterday, Facebook spent a lot of the time on their call like trying to lower expectations for the future because they were like, look, guys. Like last year was just a the past year and a half has been amazing. Yeah. Understand that. Does Robinhood now have to come out and say like same thing? Like, look, guys, the last year and a half. Like, look, look at this revenue growth, right? Like, this is ridiculous. This yeah, is like crazy. this was a perfect environment for Robinhood, which is a great point you're making too. Man, you make good points, Spencer. I go away. You've been taking your like like wow. This is you've made some awesome points this morning, but it's a fantastic point again. I mean, this environment with COVID lockdowns was never. There's people who are out of a job and they're like, oh, let's try this Robinhood thing. Let's try this trading thing out. So, I mean, we're obviously getting towards some normalcy here. I know we got fears that we might go back in the lockdown. But, you know, compared to where we were, COVID is on the back burner in a lot of places here right now. And stuff is reopening. Even for my vacation, I could see it. There was a lot of things reopening, which was nice to see. Um, so, great point you're making here again. Was it as good as it gets? Was this environment for Robinhood as good as it gets? And if you're buying at extreme valuations in an environment where it's only it, it's as good as it gets, that's never a great recipe either. So I, I'd just be cautious. Um, like I said, I haven't done my homework, so I'm not going to comment on whether $38 is cheap or whether it's not cheap. We'll find out. The market will tell us that. But I'm not the person who's going to judge that on day one. I might judge it on day five. I might judge it on day 50, but I'm not going to judge it on day one. Okay, and somebody asked about the timing. Uh, I did see uh, it'll. Uh, I, Nasdaq said something about uh, ten ten, uh, ten ten Eastern time. It'll be available for trading at approximately ten twenty a.m. Eastern time. That's from the Nasdaq website. So um, maybe ten around ten 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 twenties when the stock could open. Uh, we did. They get always a- say that, and then it's, it ends up being a lot later than that. Let's get Peter on here because he's going to have some comments on this as well. Yeah, and before I go to Peter, real fast, we got a weak GDP, uh, G, GDP 
print. I can't say that GDP print just now at eight thirty. In case you're wondering, but let's that's bring why on. that's why we're moving around a little bit here. IWM coming in a little bit. Their IWM's been ripping all morning. Yeah, let's bring on Peter Tuckman, aka the Einstein of Wall Street. Uh, and from Wall Street Global Trading Academy. Peter, good morning. Get access to actionable news and market research with all the information you need to invest smarter and profit faster. Start your free trial today at pro.benzinga.com. Morning, guys. How's everybody doing? We are fired up. We've got uh, Robinhood. We've got China. We've got earnings. We didn't even talk about Facebook yet. We got a GDP. We got the Fed yesterday. Where, where do you want to go? Well, what's on your radar this morning? So first of all, I'm actually not at the floor of the stock exchange. So this morning, I'm actually going in for shoulder surgery. But I'm really oh. thrilled, you guys. So uh, because it's such an exciting day. I mean, there is so much, so much going on. So um, where do I want to go? I think I really well, good luck with your shoulder your shoulder surgery just before we get started there. So I had three uh, rotator cuffs, uh, three rotator cuffs done about ten weeks ago, and, uh, and a bicep shred, and they redid everything. And now it's turned out that something's gone awry in there and they got to go back in and refix it. There's sort of an infection or something's going on in the shoulder. Wow. All right. It's well, sort good of, thing, it, good it's thing a, you can trade with one hand, right? On your phone. The pain in the shoulder. You know me. No, not, nothing will stop me. I got I to gotta forge on here. It's a great thing to focus on because it's it's what we love to do, all three of us, right? Yeah. Neither, okay. So, so it'll keep us from trading this market. Exactly. Uh, can't keep you down with one shoulder. So, what are you watching here? Are you watching uh, the overall market? You're watching uh, the spy, the Russell. What? What? You know what? I'm kind of fascinated by what's going on with earnings, and I think it's really worth talking about. I think it's also important to talk about the Fed yesterday, and I think it's important to talk about Robinhood and their offer up to all of their clients. It's sort of a mea culpa on how people feel they kind of, you know, that's never happened before, offering up 35% of some stock to the uh, users as part of the IPO. So let's just jump into the market and the earning thing. And I saw, I saw a tweet yesterday that talked about that maybe, and I don't know if it was downtown Josh Brown or somebody who just said, you know what, maybe it's time they just stop giving expectations and guidance going forward on earnings and just let the stuff come out or let the stuff happen, right? Because we are... You know, as we talk about, it's not your grandfather's stock market. This, you know, and also at Wall Street Global Trading, Adam, we talk about, and we've been on and talked about it because I know Dennis talks about in the mornings when these earnings come out, you guys are often talking about trading them in advance. And we're sort of very uh, um, uh, fearful of trading stocks in anticipation of earnings because like what we saw with Apple, you're seeing that such a crowded trade in so many ways. Uh, and it's so the, the, the expect to... You know, look, what we're seeing is companies are blowing out earnings. Look, the valuations are at such crazy levels. And there is no playbook for talking the recovery and the way we actually, you know, what was what was really hitting me this morning was I was having a flashback to December 2020 when Jamie Dimon came on and said, you know what, if you're at, they asked him about what do you see expectations on earnings and guidance for JP Morgan going forward. And that was right, right. Uh, 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 as the pandemic was in, in its, its full swing. And he said, you know what? I, we can't give guidance, right? We actually, they were actually not even able to, in the eyes of what was going on with the global shutdown, on even a, able to tell anybody, you know what? I don't know what the future is going to look like. So now we're a year and change later. And the bottom line is they've sort of lowered expectations and the earnings are blowing everything out. And people are underestimating the recovery we got to understand where we're coming from, right? We just spent a year, and I think people sort of 
don't want to accept the reality of where we were a year ago, guys. But this, the world was in a complete economic shutdown, right? Yeah. Things came to a halt, right? Production, our lives, travel, anything short of going to the store and getting a thing of paper towels and a bottle of alcohol, nobody huh. was doing anything. So to think now where we are and, and, and to see where the market is, you know, while we're still having these challenges in so many ways. So there's no question we're under we're underestimating the the recovery because the world is moving. People are out there. I know we're being tossed and turned by this new variant and whatnot. But what was also said yesterday in part of the Fed's discussion was there are clearly health challenges within the new variant, but we are not seeing economic challenges yet attributable to this variant. So while people are sort of being tossed and turned in the narrative of like, are we recovering? Are we not? Are we reopening? Are we not? The bottom line is the world is on its way towards recovery. Companies are starting to, whether they're making money or not, they're starting to churn. They're starting to burn. The business model is starting to work again. Things are starting to get back online. Powell said clearly the inflation story is a transient one, meaning that we're starting to produce. We're starting to work. Everything. Commodities are going to be up. They're going to be down, but they're starting to be made and used. Right. So that's a fascinating story. We've never seen this before. So to be able to now try and predict this right and and have expectations about it i think is irresponsible let's just let it happen i i just turned and asked uh, our news desk just anecdotally if they've observed a lot of guidance raises this earnings season and they were just like yes like insane like an unusually large number of guidance raises this quarter um Maybe as companies come out of, as they get more clarity, right? As, yeah. as yeah. I, I, I don't even know if it's fair to say reopening. I think it's fair to say reopened. I think it's like a past tense thing now. I think we're 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 re we're reopened. Like it's it it's yeah. it, it happened. It's right. I mean, what what isn't what what isn't open yet? I I, I genuinely don't know. I, I we're in it. Are we out on cruise ships in bulk? Probably not. Okay, maybe cruise ships. You got me there. Casinos packed. Maybe at a 50%. You know, is travel up and running? Absolutely. We just saw it like in the last, whatever, what was like July 4th? Two million people a day were getting on planes. That's that's pretty close to good, right? I mean, that's pretty close to normal. And so we're talking about these companies are being asked the question, why would a company want to give over expectations and under deliver? That is the worst thing a Wall Street company can do, right? And so if there's any hesitation about, well, we don't really know, why wouldn't we lower expectations and over deliver? And that's what we're seeing. 18% of the companies, uh, I mean, there's been an 80 plus percent beat, more than 18% on earnings estimates and revenues. These are big numbers, guys. You know, you're talking about normal, uh, a normal beat would be about 1% of revenues is what I read this morning. And we're seeing some companies beat out by more than three to 5%. Those are billions of dollars. The reality of it is, right? So I agree with you, uh, Spencer. We are open, right? And as I said, and the key to that story is we are going through health challenges, but not economic challenges at the moment because the, I mean, relative to the new variant, which is obviously, yeah. you know, getting people a little bit uh, itchy in their suit. So the question now is if we are reopened and if we are going to stay reopened, they have hit these reopening stocks something 
fierce. I mean, we have bounced back on a few of the names. I'm looking, you know, just like, you know, an RCL, for instance, a week and a half ago, they had slammed this thing back down to where it was trading, you know, in the middle of the crisis. And, you know, a nice bounce back. It went from $69 just in the last five, seven trading sessions back up to 80. Um, You know, some of the airlines, the same story where they were hitting them too. Have they oversold some of these reopening stocks? You know what? I think it's funny the way the market gets super high focus. It's it's sort of like ADD in the marketplace. There That's have fine. been those days, uh, Dennis, where, you know, the, the narrative within the media space is going to be about the pandemic and fear. And then we're seeing this wild volatility in these names like the RCLs of the world. And then we're seeing like sort of the, our focus goes somewhere else. And they either go into crypto or they go into the Zoom names, DocuSign names, or they get or they suddenly like the cruise lines again. It's a day to day. I mean, look at that kind of volatility you're seeing in a cruise ship name. Right. It is so bound to the recovery story and people's perceptions. Right. People don't book a cruise uh, a trip for next Monday. They book a cruise ship for September or or the or December. Right. And so, you know what I'm saying? These are long term uh, plays. If somebody gets on business travel, well, that's something that may be done in a short-term business level. Vacations are booked in advance. There are things that happen in advance, and then things that happen that are 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 a day-to-day thing. So you're seeing those companies, like a, a cruise line uh, uh, company, that is a forward-looking uh, uh, metric. And so you're going to see when that story gets ugly around the variant where those stocks are going to get hit. And that was, I think, those those days, Dennis, where we, you know, the variant became the day, the story of the day. You know, we saw that, what was it, the sell-off on Monday, right? You know, that Monday was a very short-lived uh, uh, sell-off, right? It was the shortest-lived of the sell-offs we've seen for the last couple of months. It was all about that weekend. Look, we came in on, we had a, a sell-off, a, a sell day on Friday. People started talking about that historic story about a sell-off Friday, sell-off Monday, you know, it portends a whole week of sell-off. It started with the state of emergency in Japan and the problems about the obstacles in the Olympics. Europe was down 2%. We opened down 750, went down 950. And those those stocks, which were all about the pandemic and the variant, got hit. And then that sell-off literally lasted a day and a half, Dennis. And then we saw the greatest rally we've seen in the longest time, closing out Friday at record highs. So it's just like, you know, why don't we just take the market a day at a time at this point? It is. I think these these reopening stocks are are kind of dangerous. They're volatile. They're they, you know people are slinging around big numbers with those you know on a day to day basis. And it's curious who are those people? Long term investors aren't trading it the way making it go from sixty nine to eighty two. You know those are traders. And so I think that you see thin volatility. You're seeing moves that are that are unprecedented. Um, Peter, can't let you go without getting your thoughts on on China here. Uh, I, I'm curious what what the what the mood has been on down on the floor. Uh, you know, on days you've been there, and just your thoughts on just the the, the situation. Okay, I, I I think it's a really uh, it, it's a it's a shameful story in so many ways. Look, I I will say that a couple of years ago, we saw on the floor tons of these small uh, and we we. we caught everyone's attention, these small uh, Chinese educational companies going public, right? And there was one after the other, after the other, after the other. Some of them were educational, some were not. And and they were like very inexpensive, you know, they were being priced at $6, $8, $9. And they were, they, 
you know, and it was there was a big crowd on the floor. It was it was our normal presentation about an IPO, but they were happening, you know, in, in massive succession. And we were looking at each other going and they were not acting well. They would open. There was a lot of fanfare and they did nothing but go down. And we all sort of were staring at each other going, OK, well, we're here for the show. But what's up with these stocks? And so I kind of did a little bit of an investigation and it tries. I'm going like, is it responsible? Are these companies really viable? Right. Are they real? What do they do? And are they really uh, a ripe for an IPO? And sort of I kind of dug around into it and I found out that, you know, well, look, the IPO process is complicated. We've had talks about it before and it's a much longer story. But what it takes to actually come to market and do that is a very complicated thing. There's a lot of regulation. There's the roadshow, the investment bank, la, 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 and all that story. But it turns out that there was this little caveat in the rule that talked about that there were these shell companies that had been established within the IPO space that, that never actually went to IPO. They had done all the due diligence around getting ready to go public, but never did. And it turned out that they somebody, I don't know what regulator or what standard made it so that these companies were able to uh, sort of plug themselves into this shell company that had done all the uh, all the logistics to go public and sort of, you know, it's like it's like a pop up shop in a way, if you can if you if you can understand where I'm coming from. It's like, you know, somebody's done all the setup of the store. They've done all the, uh, uh, the they've painted the walls. They've got everything. And all you got to do is show up with your stuff, plug in and be open for three weeks and you can make some money. Right. It was almost like these companies did a pop up shop on the IPO side. I don't know a lot of depth of that story, but it, that was the truth. And so then you come to DD, and I was in DD. I, I represented a couple different uh, of our clients in DD. We saw it go public that day. There was a lot of fanfare. It was the biggest IPO since Alibaba from China with a huge, huge listing, a huge uh, offering. And uh, we saw it open, a lot of fanfare around it. It seemed like it acted well. And I mean, ended up uh, going down that next day uh, to 14 and a half. I think it opened at 1662 reasonable valuation from where it was and uh and the next day and it went down to 14 and a half it did rally back that next day and then all this news started to trickle out so obviously we've seen it get cut in half virtually since then and as and i think the it is a bit of a chatter on the floor because we kind of look at each other and go like wow this is you know we're watching these stocks not only dd but the whole sector getting eviscerated and it kind of it bodes me to think that that it was really irresponsible, first of all, for DD to go public, right? Whether whether it was the Chinese government or whatnot, or the company itself to go public in the eyes. The, the, the news that's trickled out from China post DD uh, IPO wasn't didn't just show up. This was stuff that had been mulling around for a while. And so from I, I kind of feel like we got it stuck to us in a lot of ways. It was like, you know, let's see. I mean, there obviously is a lot of pol political stuff going on between the U.S. and China. There have been problems back even in the Trump day about thoughts of delisting Chinese companies, pulling them out of the MSCI and whatnot. Right? Well, you, we, the story has been mulling for a while. But what we're seeing didn't just happen. So the fact is that they let some of these companies come to the U.S., get listed in our marketplace, and then come out with all this news and these, this, you know, we saw them go after Jack Ma and, and the uh, story that he with his company, too. So the story's been around for a while. The devastation and the devaluation that we've seen yeah. in these companies over the last two weeks is really unprecedented. I The only word I can use is irresponsible. 
on the part of the companies themselves and or the Chinese government. I, I think, Peter, most people on this side of the Pacific probably agree with you. Uh, but Peter Tuffman, guys, he joins us every Thursday, even on days where he's having shoulder surgery. <laughs> so drop the like for Peter. The ben guy is a machine for the world. Wouldn't miss it for the world. Peter Tuckman, thank you so much. Wall Street Global Trading Academy, link in description. Uh, Peter, good luck today. Seriously, I mean it. Good luck today.